We've beheld our God in song and in prayer, and now we behold our God through his word. I ask you, invite you, to turn to Psalm chapter 42, verse 5. It's our text this morning, out of the book of Psalms, chapter 42, verse 5. This is the word of the Lord. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. God, as we turn now to the preaching of your word, I pray that you will do the miraculous. That you will awaken the dead. That you will stir within our hearts a hunger for you. Lord, help us to hear the truth of your word today. Help us to see Christ, to want him. Lord, give us hearts to believe in Jesus Christ today. Father, help me not to speak in error, but to come boldly with the truth. Father, may your people be strengthened May your church be built up, not because of me, but because of your word that stands forever. The flowers fade, the grass withers, but the word of the Lord stands forever. God, we thank you and we love you. It's in your name. Amen. For the next four weeks... We're taking a break from our series through Isaiah to focus on Advent. And for some of us, this may be new. Maybe you know Advent as a fun calendar leading up to Christmas. But Advent is much more than that. It helps us understand the significance of the coming of Christ, the greatest treasure we could ever receive. Do I hear an amen with that? Amen. Amen. Yes. The greatest treasure. There is real significance in Advent. There is spiritual significance in Advent. The Advent season is good for the soul. It takes our attention away from the world's confusion about Christmas And puts it in the rich soil of God where our heart can grow and be rooted deep, deep in the love of Christ. The word Advent is derived from the Latin word Adventus, meaning a coming to. So the coming of Christ is known as Advent. The Advent season on the church calendar emphasizes the anticipation of Christ's birth, but it's also tied to the second advent, to Christ's coming again, his return. And so advent really represents the present situation of the church in what the book of Acts calls these last days, where God's people wait for the return of Christ in glory to usher in his eternal kingdom while we remember and celebrate his birth. 
The church is in a similar situation, really, when you think about it. It's similar to Israel. At the end of the Old Testament, God's people had received the promise of God. They were waiting for him to fulfill them. They didn't know when, they didn't know how, but they were waiting for his coming. Like us, Christ came the first time and now we are waiting for his second coming. Traditionally, the church has set aside the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, highlighting the first Advent. And that's where we're really going to be focused during this Advent season, is in the first Advent, the need for Christ to come and rescue his people. Christmas is not about the lights and all the decorations. I know when you drive around, you see many beautiful fun, loving decorations, and that's great. Even in this time of COVID, where people are looking for more reasons to celebrate and overcome the year we've had, Christmas, though, is about the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. For sure, the most important part of Jesus's earthly ministry was the last week He was on earth when he went to the cross, willingly, joyfully, we're told, on our behalf. But his earthly ministry began at his birth. And as Paul reminds us at the start of Romans, it was the beginning of the fulfillment of God's promise to save his people. The Christmas season, the Advent season, is about God coming into the darkness being born in the flesh so that he would die in the place of sinners and rescue them from judgment of their sin. You see, the birth of Christ is the path to our salvation and God's vindication of upholding his justice and his glory and grace. It doesn't matter how much of a sinner you are, how wrought with guilt you may be, or how lost in this life you find yourself. Advent tells us that God became a man to enact a rescue, to give grace and peace with God. Without the birth of Christ, there could be, there can not be peace with God. That would be the worst thing imaginable is not having peace with God. But because of Christ, instead of that worst thing imaginable, we have the most joyful, the best heartwarming, the greatest gift given in love, and that's new life through faith in Christ. Now, it's a fight at times, if we're honest with ourselves, it's a fight to reclaim the real treasure of Christmas. Oftentimes, our culture will distort the understanding. We may get caught up in the misperceptions that seem so confusing to us and to our children. We may forget our need that Christmas declares, and so we need to pause. We need to remember our Savior's coming. You see, before Christmas is a celebration, it's first, it declares that we are guilty. 
That we are in need of saving from God's judgment. That we can't do it ourselves. It says we're guilty. And it says, but I love you. You're guilty, but I love you. This is why Christmas is such a wonderful holiday. It does both at the same time. It tells us the truth of who we are before a holy God. And it tells us the truth of God's love given through Jesus Christ. It declares our helplessness in sin. And it tells of God's wonderful, amazing love. During Christmas, the world turns to the love of family or love shared with our fellow man. But more than any love we could ever give or receive from another person, Advent tells us of the love we have received from God himself. God loved us. He gave us his son so we will believe and not perish but have eternal life with him. This is a great love. And it's a love that's unexpected. When we hear the news for the first time, we're not expecting to be loved this much. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are loved this much. The church, God's people, are loved with an eternal love. Now this Advent series is a play off of words from a Christmas song called Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. It was a hymn written in the 18th century by Charles Wesley, which he wrote based on several passages from Scripture. You may remember that the first verse begins like this. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, Let us find our rest in thee, Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. The song is a petition. It's a prayer that asks Jesus to be among us. And it says that Jesus is the hope of all the earth. And this series is a petition to God. For him to awaken us to the hope of Jesus Christ and give us a deeper understanding to celebrate this Christmas season. The song has another line that goes like this. Rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. From hope to ruling in our hearts That is where Advent takes us as we remember Christ's birth and look for his return. Advent does not depend upon optimism or circumstances or some catchy tune that we hear on the radio. Advent is rooted in an eternal promise. The promise that makes hope a way of life for the Christian. God's promises thread their way through scriptures and through history. And we remember them fulfilled with such love in Jesus, and we then celebrate. We celebrate. To gain a better appreciation for the cheer of Christmas, 
we need to go back in time before Christ's first coming and be reminded and fully grasp why he needed to come in the first place. The fact that God would save his people was not new at his birth in Bethlehem. But how God would do it would be totally unexpected. This Advent, we're going to look at the long, unexpected one. God had long promised and had given lots of signs that he would save his people. But no one was expecting Christ to come. What people expected, what they longed for, was not who came. Jesus, the long expectant one, is the unexpected hope. In his birth, we have unexpected hope. That's what we're looking at today. Next Sunday is the unexpected birth. And then the unexpected kingdom. And then the Sunday before Christmas, the unexpected rule in our hearts that the song and scripture speak of. Let's look at the long, unexpected hope of Christ. Now, hope is something that every person looks for, but only the Christian has. Now, that's a bold statement, but it's true. It's true because of what hope is. Here's the definition of hope. It is a desire for some good with the belief that it is attainable, that good will be yours one day. Knowing that you will possess that good is why hope always gives joy and pleasure to the heart. That's why hope is also confidence in a future event. Looking beyond where you are and seeing something positive, even though you don't have it yet. Hope is a theme that's throughout the scriptures. It's both in the Old and the New Testaments. And scripture makes clear what hope is and what it's not. Job speaks of false hope in Job 8 verse 13 We're told such are the paths of all who forget God. The hope of the godless shall perish. Some translations say the hypocrite, the irreligious, the immoral. There are those who live their life as if God is not real. That he's only for those who are needy. They deny the works of his hands, and they forget that this world and their life is the very evidence that he exists. Their hope can only be put in things that are temporary. Their hope has an expiration date. Their hope only goes as far as their imaginations are capable of going. And really, that's a false hope. Their false hopes die with them. And so that's really no hope at all. In his first letter to the Thessalonians, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. How sad it is to live 
and to think that this world is all there is. What could we possibly hope in this world? What could possibly bring us hope? What will outlast the misery of this world and the sins of others? Man has been dealing with the effects of the fall for thousands of years, and we still can't separate ourselves from the sorrows of life. Our modern world has no answer. It has no confidence that anything's going to get better. People will grab at anything, wishing it will give them something, because we know that deep down inside, there's nothing within us that gives any semblance of hope. Within each of us, we know we are in such a condition that we will never recover. The condition of unrighteousness. Our world is hopeless because the righteousness of God is not in us. That is a despair that we cannot overcome. But rather than admitting this, We see people turning to every form of carnal pleasure, trying to make it do what it cannot do. Alcohol, drugs, sex, money, new systems of thought becoming more religious. None of this can give lasting assurance we all crave. No hope in our hearts. Instead, it's really a hatred for life. The drudgery and the pain seem to undo us, and everyone has felt this way. Today we live in a world with such turmoil. As modern as we think we are, all we have to do is look out our door at COVID and see how COVID has produced increased levels of distress and anxiety, compounded by fear of the unknown, It has people clamoring for some kind of assurance that it will get better. Yet even as treatments progress, hope will be elusive and it will be an elusive longing never achieved because this world is broken. People are disillusioned and think that there's nothing out there and the future will get worse. People are depressed and they're desperate for something to put their hope in. Again, Paul writes this time to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 2.12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This is how people live today, without God and without hope. And while this is a good description of the times, this verse also gives us insight to where hope really is found. Paul's reminding Christians of how we were before Christ when we were separated from God and without hope. And to remember, our hope is in the covenants of promise from God. Without his promises, there is no hope. There are people in this world, and maybe you're one of them, that goes through life not knowing the promises of God. 
And that has left you utterly desperate and nauseous of empty platitudes. Christians know what life was like in our separation from God. It is a terrifying experience. By the grace of God, we received true, lasting hope. Our guilt-ridden souls were assured of forgiveness through the completed work of Christ on the cross. That is what the psalmist alludes to in our text this morning. This is what he alludes to in Psalm 42.5. Look with me again, if you will, as I read it. This is a great verse. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation in my God. The hope that every believer has is that God is our salvation and he's our God. And we have confidence in that because of Christ. Christ fulfills this for us. He is our salvation. And because of him, God is our God. He is for us. The Old Testament is full of God's promises that he would come and be salvation for his people over and over again. We're given through prophecy and God's people were told the Messiah was coming. Don't put hope into worthless idols. Don't trust in yourselves. Don't look to your circumstances. Turn to me. Hope in me. Here's my word of promise. You can depend on what I have to say. My word is your life. And God gave us people what we now call the Old Testament. Words to depend on and have hope. One Bible scholar, get this for a second. One Bible scholar took the time and counted 127 personal messianic predictions involving some 348 verses in the Old Testament. Time does not allow us to go through them all. I wish we could. But let me just name a few. There's the promised seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15. Eve was promised a male descendant in her line would crush the head of the serpent and that he would win over the devil in all evil. God then chose a man named Abraham in Genesis 12 to be a blessing for all nations to come. Through him and then the tribe of Judah, the Messiah would come. From Judah in numbers, from Judah, a star would come out of Jacob a scepter would rise out of Israel. The Messiah is called the anointed one. He would be a king, a faithful priest and prophet. The Psalms describe his earthly ministry, his betrayal and his atoning sacrifice. And then through the prophets, the manner in which the Messiah would come was told. And his people would be forever safe and forever loved and held forever secure. Because of him, the hope of the Messiah, the hope of him coming, the first advent is not based on some obscure message that's unclear. 
It's not just some one-liner in a book that no one can read. It's not some flimsy faith that's pulled out of thin air. It is solid meat that's attached to the bone that's unbreakable. You can't rip it apart. Our text this morning is in Psalms, but really I could have just said it's the Old Testament. We could have just read the whole Old Testament for today's unexpected hope. Yet in all that, though, the Old Testament ends desperate for grace. Scholars of the day thought they knew how God would come. They were sure they they had it all figured out, but the people's hopes were in what they could put together. But their hopes in what they thought didn't carry them very far. The only thing they got right is that Christ would come, that the Messiah would come. And he did come, but he came unexpectedly. He came in a way no one was looking, in a way that we still need to be shown today. He came humbly. He came seeking the lost with God's glory for sure, yet veiled in the flesh of a man, a king who came to serve and give his life as payment to purchase lives that aren't worth his own. He is the unexpected hope that we all need. The psalmist in 42 didn't see things in his life getting better. Enemies were pounding at the door and they were mean and they were nasty. And he was depressed. But he knew about the promise of God. He confided in God. He turned to him and said, you are my hope. That is what I need. That is what we need to say at Christmas time. God, you are my hope. I will praise you because you are my salvation and my God. Brought by the God of grace and his love for his people, he reveals himself to us in Jesus Christ. This view of God in Christ gives us a love for him and repentance of our sin. And in our hearts, we are finally at peace with him. We're filled with joy because hope is no longer a make-believe fantasy. It's no longer out of our grasp. It's real. It's conceivable. It's specific. And it's personal. It's covenantal to God's people. The false cures, the false hopes don't do it, but God does. We no longer try to escape the troubles of the day. We run to Christ in those troubles. We look to God in Christ and know that it means his life and this life that we live in him is not the final act of our lives. The Hebrews writer calls this the full assurance of hope. That is what the psalmist is saying. Hope in God. Have full assurance of real hope. This is unexpected. What this means is that we cling to the sufficiency of Christ. We find peace for our souls. It means we turn to Christ for assurance of grace. 
We hope in Christ. Then, not only for salvation, but for daily Christian living. The advent of Christ gives us hope in how we live today and every day into eternity. Here's how Martin Luther found the everlasting hope of Christ. A mentor of his told him this, quote, You want to be an imaginary sinner and to regard Christ as an imaginary savior. You must accustom yourself to think that Christ is a real savior and that you are a real sinner. God does nothing for fun nor for show. He is not joking when he sends his son and delivers him up for us. The Christian's hope is in Christ, whose advent means we are justified before God. Because of his coming, it brings us to his cross where he died. And he died for us to liberate us from all the false hopes of this world and to give us real hope, to have full assurance of hope. We are justified in Christ. We are forgiven in Christ. But these are not the goals. Don't stop there at forgiveness. They lead to true reconciliation and eternal relationship with God. Christ himself took upon himself our iniquity. For our sake, he who was without sin became sin for us and so identified with us to participate in our alienation from God. And he took our separation and he then brought us to the Father. We now have hope. The ways of this world, our own sin, the judgment of God is not in the Christian's future. Our future is secure because a God loves us. Christmas truly is a blessed season. It is unexpected for sinners like you and me. We've done nothing to deserve any of this. Christmas reminds us of the hope we have in Christ who loves us, always hoping through the lens of Christ of the cross, not just what he did on the cross, but what he accomplished on the cross. It's no longer needed. The sacrifice is no longer needed. And we're told through faith, we are now righteous. The very problem the whole world has, why everyone's clamoring and seeking hope, The Christian has it. We've been given the righteousness of God and we shall live. Our faith in Christ is confidence in God's grace, him fulfilling his promised grace. Hope is knowing that God has saved us through faith in Christ because of his love for us. It was unexpected for us, but it was planned by God because he is love. Have hope in Christ this Advent season. Have full assurance of hope and receive him. Praise him this season, for he is your salvation and your God. Let's pray.